So you can you can be bold and courageous and still be, you know, like Lieutenant Colombo. I don't know. There's something about this thing that bothers me. You could be, you know, under the radar and you can be um, genial in the way you engage. So I just wanted to make that point. Oddly enough, evangelism has become almost a curse word to many evangelical Christians. 47% of millennial Christians think it is immoral. In episode 41, we looked at some cringeworthy examples of evangelism and gave you some tips on how you can make it less weird. This week, famed author, apologist, and speaker Greg Kokel, founder of Stand to Reason, shares more secrets to better evangelistic interactions. Welcome to Christianity Still Makes Sense, the show that loves doubters. Greg, it is so good to have you on Christianity Still Makes Sense. I always love our times of connection, and thank you for joining us on our program. Yeah, it's always a ball when we get together. And what was the last time? I think it was July or, or something. We got together yeah. in, in uh in that very hot place in Arizona, what was that, Albuquerque? And uh, we had a great time with Frank Turek and the whole crowd there. So good to see you again. Yeah, likewise. I'm excited for your new book. Uh, you've put out a couple big ones uh, with the story of reality a few years back. Mm -hmm. uh, we know uh, your signature book, Tactics, and now Street Smarts. Right. And we want to talk to our audience about that and just really helping them as, you know, a world-renowned Christian apologist and just gifted thinker uh, in your own right. God has really used uh, your mm -hmm. material as it relates to helping people to think more wisely. Before we start getting into the details uh, in a specific way, maybe we'll mm -hmm. just kind of guide our audience on our journey together and help them just to get a, a bit of a framework. Talk to us a little bit about this gardening concept that you develop in Street Smarts. Yeah, so uh, Stand to Reason, the organization I represent, has been uh, in play for 30 years. This is our 30th anniversary. And over those years, I've, I've put in actually more than 30 years, 33 years of interactive talk radio. I've spoken um, just uh, three weeks ago when I was at University of Kentucky. Uh, that was my 92nd university. Okay, so I've had lots of opportunities to interact with uh with non-christians and challengers and stuff like that and to over time develop a way that is um in a certain sense non-confrontational but probing in a way that gets people thinking about their own convictions and maybe some flaws in that by the way i have a word that i use for that and it's called putting a stone in their shoe so this yeah, is an important concept. I, I just kind of what I tell the audience is I just want to annoy you in a certain in a in a in a good way, you know. Yeah. And they expect the Christian to annoy them, and so I say, okay, I'm your guy. But I tell them I'm not here to convert you. Now this is a very important part of my entire approach, and I want the your your listeners of yours to kind of um, to, to absorb this because it it's a little counterintuitive to the way we do evangelism now. The way we do evangelism now is we, I mean, to put it in a thumbnail sketch, we share the simple gospel and we invite people to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. They can pray that little prayer at the end. And uh, if they do, good. If they don't, well, maybe next time or something like that. There are all kinds of obstacles to that simple way of sharing the gospel, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, I'm talking about a means of communicating the gospel. I'm not talking about the gospel itself because the gospel doesn't change. 
the, our message is right. the same, but the way we communicate the message is going to be different in different circumstances. Just the way mm -hmm. Jesus dealt with uh, Nicodemus in John three in a different fashion than he dealt with the woman at the well in John four. Okay, so we adapt to our audiences, but we don't change the message. Okay, to make it kinder and gentler. So on uh, uh, that particular methodology, that standard received tradition is actually mm -hmm. a tradition. It is not biblical. You don't right. see any altar calls in the New Testament <laughs> anywhere. You don't see anybody yeah. being challenged to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Instead, what you see is the gospel being communicated in various ways, uh, pieces here mm -hmm. and pieces there. Uh, mostly, you look at the, the uh, Sermon on the Mount, the great moral teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. I chuckle because people tell me how great that moral teaching is. And I said, have you ever read it? You know, mm -hmm. this is where Jesus said, you know, your righteousness That's has right. to exceed the, the scribes and Pharisees <laughs> to get into heaven. And no, you didn't murder, but if you just called your brother a fool, you're going to hell. And maybe yeah, it's devastating. Adultery, <laughs> right. But you thought about it. Who hasn't? Um, then you're going to hell. I mean, this is not good news. This is bad news. So throughout mm -hmm. the Gospels, you have Jesus touching on different things to stir people up, but he's never making an altar call. What ends up happening is as people hear the message of truth, and begin piecing it together about Jesus, and this is also true in the book of Acts, they just believe. They are not invited to receive. Now, I'm not against that. I'm not against altar calls. I'm not against um, uh, inviting people to pray and receive Christ, and that is born fruit. But it's only 150 years old. It's a new technique, mm -hmm. not an old technique. And the problem here, Bobby, is that when people think that this is what's required for evangelism, Mm -hmm. A lot of them aren't going to do it because it's too confrontational, mm -hmm. especially in a hostile culture. And so what I'm mm -hmm. trying to do is encourage Christians not to worry about harvesting, which those little tracks are harvesting tools. I mm -hmm. want them to worry about gardening. Okay. Yeah. And Jesus says in John chapter four, after his woman at the well discussion, the disciples come up and he says, you are about to reap where you did not sow. All right. So there's two different workers and two different seasons in this field. You've got sowers and reapers. You have gardeners and harvesters. And uh, even though you have one field. All right. And one team. So um, here's my conviction about this. When and it's not just my conviction. I've seen this all over the place even in my own life. And I don't know about you, Bobby, but I've heard this from a lot of other people. Um, Kirk Cameron and I were having a conversation the other day. I was interviewed on his program. He said, this is the same thing that happened to him. Here's the deal. Hmm. When the fruit is ripe, that means it's ready for harvest. It falls into the basket. You walk into apple hmm. orchard in the fall and there's apples all over the ground. <laughs> Roop, yeah. Ripe fruit falls into the basket. And in my case, I... In a certain sense, I harvested myself, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, we know, <clears throat> excuse me, that it's the Holy Spirit that sure. does the harvesting. But it isn't necessarily the intervention of other people. And I take a poll now when I give this talk, Bobby, just of my audiences, for them to see how powerful this is and how the reality of it is in so many people's lives. And I say, how many people here are Christians? 
but did not become Christian by walking down the aisle at an altar call or having somebody pray with them the sinner's prayer to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. And I'm just telling you, I was actually shocked when I started to doing, doing this. Mm. 60 to 70% of the entire population in that room or that venue, whatever it is, and some of them are big, are raising their hand and they're saying, that's me. So here are all mm. these people that no one harvested them except for the spirit because the fruit was ripe. No, so here's the application mm. then. If we are just given harvesting tools and that's the only thing that we are taught to do and the harvest's not ready, man, we're in big trouble going out there with mixing with people. But instead, if we are given gardening tools just to do a little here, or do a little there, like Paul says, I planted Apollo's water, Apollo's water, and God caused the increase. Okay, now if we approach the enterprise of evangelism that way, that's going to change everything. <clears throat> and my experience is it's going to get a whole bunch of people in play in the garden, so to speak, so that there's a greater harvest. More gardeners, greater harvest. It's very simple. Yeah. And my books, uh, Tactics, as you know, and Street Smarts Now, the new one that's just come out about a month ago, um, these are books that give you gardening tools so that mm -hmm. you can do a little here, a little there, get people thinking, not worrying about pushing for the sale, getting them to sign on the dotted line, no pressure there, but then using questions to navigate in those conversations so it keeps you safe. So that's the basic concept yeah. in gardening that's really foundational to all of the things I teach in these books. Yeah, that's really good, Greg. And in your book, you even talk about just the overwhelming guilt sometimes we can feel at the prospect of worldwide evangelism. And I know in my own life as a youngster, you know, I was out witnessing on street evangelism to 50 to 100 people a week in campus ministry, uh, doing a lot of this by myself. I would even stand up on the corner and just preach and got kicked right. off of campuses. I mean, I was doing this and Man, it, it was overwhelming my burden. And I found myself thinking of like souls as equating to like grains of sand on a seashore right. and feeling like there's no way that I can I can scoop all this up. And right. that the, the, the task is overwhelming. And I God just mm -hmm. kind of I just sense him give me a metaphor of a bucket. And it's like, hey, look, it's it, this project of evangelism is a worldwide endeavor. All I'm asking you to do is just work with your bucket, present me. Mm -hmm. Present me your bucket and that bucket can be gardening. We're not able to pull the harvest off anyway. Ultimately, that's God, as you said. Right. And then I found in that evangelism, Greg, and I think a lot of people do, especially in this culture, that questions come up um, and we often don't know how to give the answer. We feel stuck. And you talk in your book, Street Smarts, about how questions can protect us and yes, why it's right. so important that we ask questions. What would you say mm -hmm. about that? Yeah, uh, let me make an observation about what you just said first, though, uh, Bobby, and that is, I, you know, we've known each other for a long, long time, and you're a very aggressive guy. You're bold, you're courageous, and so you go out in the street and you do your thing. And I know you're not offering that as a model for everybody, obviously, but there is a sense that people think, oh, I can't do that, and so maybe I can't do anything. And so yep. uh, most people are not like Bobby. They're not like uh, Ray Comfort, who's also very good at that kind of thing. They're, they're not like me. They're like what they consider regular Joes and, uh, or Janes. And, um, and the, the techniques that I'm teaching is for those people. 
okay? And mm -hmm. part of the concern in that situation is they feel vulnerable. In fact, that's why I titled the book Street Smarts because the street is wherever you feel vulnerable, right? You, you just feel like, man, I don't know, especially if it looks dangerous, I can't handle me, myself out here. Now, um, now, of course, people that aren't afraid of the street, speaking here of the physical street now, are people like MMA artists or people packing heat, you know, and they say, well, I, I am <laughs> capable of dealing with the challenge. But um, most people don't aren't like that. Now, the same thing is true spiritually in the street. You know, m most people feel vulnerable and don't have the boldness that you have. And consequently, they're, and they don't know what to do with themselves. They have a wrong view of evangelism. And I just address that a little bit, that it's all about closing the deal. And I think it's more not about harvesting, but it's about gardening. And they don't have um, a, 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 a mental method or a game plan that allows them to manage. And those are two things that are really important. And uh, as you mentioned here, central to the game plan is using questions in every step. There are three steps in the game plan that I explain in tactics in detail, but you don't not need to have to have read tactics, those many of your listeners, I guess, have uh, to benefit from Street Smarts because I review the basic concepts of the game plan there and the importance of questions. I just want your friends to think about this for a moment. And uh, the simplest way of characterizing the safety of questions is to tell the two steps, the two first steps of the three-step game plan. And the first step is just to gather information. You gotta get the lay of the land. And you, you don't know where people are coming from, or maybe they're coming at you with a challenge, okay? Still, you wanna gather information. Well, I'm not a Christian, I'm an atheist. I don't believe there's no there's any God. Oh, really? What kind of atheist are you? So I throw the walk in the back of their court and notice what I'm asking for is more information. What do you mean by that? Now I want yeah. your your listeners to see something here. When I get pushed there with a, essentially an implicit challenge, mm -hmm. I might feel like, oh man, I don't know good arguments against atheism. And so I say nothing. I'm in the street and I'm vulnerable, right? But mm -hmm. if instead, or I might try to say something, and if I say something, now I'm putting my view forward that the atheist can attack, maybe in a way I don't know how, know how to deal with it, okay? So I'm mm -hmm. vulnerable to a counterattack, so to speak, because I've, I've put my own idea forward. But notice when I say, what kind of atheist are you? That's a question about his view. I'm not saying anything yeah. about my view. So I am mm -hmm. completely safe at that mm -hmm. point. Somebody says, what about the problem of evil? I say, what about it? I want them to explain. Mm -hmm. Well, that's exactly. a problem for you, isn't it? Well, what's the problem? I want them to explain. Mm -hmm. Notice it comes to me, I kick it right back. Every time I yep. kick it back, it's not just e evasion. It's a carefully thought out maneuver because mm -hmm. I want them to talk more about their view. And there's a reason for this, Bobby. If their view is false, and by the way, if we have the truth and theirs is contrary, to, their view is contrary to ours, then their view is false. The more they talk about it, probably, likely, the more the digger, the bigger the hole is that they're digging for themselves. And if I'm alert and I have some of the information that I provide later in Street Smarts, they're going to be able to see some of these flaws 
that they're then be going to be able to ask other questions of. So the principle mm -hmm. here is when you're asking questions, and the first question is some form of the, uh, uh, the question, what do you mean by that? Or help me understand your view or tell me more. I'm interested in your view. Mm -hmm. Well, what's wrong with that? Nobody is, has any vulnerability with a question like that. Okay, mm -hmm. what's the second step? Well, now that you know what their view is, you wanna know why they think it's true. <laughs> That's the second exactly. question. How did you come to that conclusion? Or um, what are your reasons for that? So now we're two thirds of the way between, conceptually through the game plan. Mm -hmm. And you can see, well, that's easy. What do you mean by that? How did you come to that conclusion? But you'll be surprised, and I have examples of that in Street Smarts, how people just using, and me, just using one or both of those questions to probe as a student of the other person's view actually causes them to question their view because it requires mm -hmm. them to explain it more clearly and defend it in, 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 a, in a friendly environment. I'm not trying to defeat them. I, I mean, I'm coming in kind of under the radar a little bit. Now, you know, this, this maneuver, this game plan has a name. It's called Columbo, <clears throat> named after the infamous Lieutenant Columbo of TV fame, right? But um, the reason is because Lieutenant Columbo, for those who <clears throat> are familiar with the TV show or watch him on YouTube, you know, he kind of comes in bumbling and like he's not a threat. And this is the way we want to be. We, we want to be just relaxed and friendly and curious about mm -hmm. the other person's view. And so all of this adds up to this title of the chapter on questions, questions keep you safe. You're not defending anything mm -hmm. on your side because you haven't advanced anything on your side. Okay, mm -hmm. um, you're showing a genuine interest in the other person's view. You're gathering information so you have a clearer idea um, how you might proceed or maybe whether or not you should proceed at all. Maybe you don't have the ability to go further. And if you don't, you've still gotten good information about somebody else's view and uh, you understand them better and you've had a friendly conversation, not mm -hmm. combat, right? Uh, right. Not D-Day, not but diplomacy. That's what I want it mm -hmm. to look like. So this is how um, questions keep you safe, since using questions um, means that you're not making statements, and it's only when you make statements when you can be attacked. Yeah. When you yeah, others can good. ask questions about your view or find fault with your view. There is a subtle way of making our points still using questions. And this brings us actually to the third step of the game plan. Yeah, and before we get there, let me just go on record and say that I, I am not a, aggressive and, and bold like I was when I was younger. Some of that was just <laughs> naivete. I read a chapter into the open air by George Dalimar on uh, the, the life of George Whitfield. And, you know, I was just so uneducated and I just took the Bible and saw what they were doing and went out and did that. And I got, you know, beat up in the process, but it was also some of the making of an apologist and also mm. just learning, you know, what are the best ways about doing this? And I do think that relational evangelism uh, and just building relationships and asking questions, as you said, is so important, you know, and I do think we want to have that boldness, but you can be bold in asking questions. And I think what sure. you said, questions really do buy you some time to think. And that's important mm -hmm. as well. So talk By to us, way, Greg, about what's up. Hold on just a minute. Boldness um, is not aggressiveness. 
it's a willingness yeah. to step into what appears like a dangerous situation. So boldness show is is the step forward. It isn't yeah. the manner in which you step forward. So you can yeah. step forward in That's a good. gentle way, even though you realize you're stepping forward into a, a maybe a volatile circumstance because of the nature of the ideas and the challenges. You know, under the radar, and you can be. Um, genial in the way you engage. So I just wanted to make that point. I hope you're enjoying this conversation. Before we get back into the discussion, I wanted to let you know that this is a listener-supported show and needs your support to continue. Please consider joining our support team at ChristianityStillMakesSense.com and clicking Donate. You can also support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel or sharing this video with your network. Let's jump back in. Yeah, well said. I think the same thing when it comes to passion. Sometimes people think, oh, to be passionate for Christ just means, you know, you got to be highly expressive. And and I've often said, no, I mean, sometimes those people are just emotional. And sometimes that quiet person is really passionate because passion is detected through our convictions yeah. and living those out. So, Greg, uh, you know, we only got about four or five minutes here left. Why wow. don't you uh, begin <laughs> to help us uh, land the plane with uh, your third and final response, and then we'll right. see if we have any, uh, you know, final moments to. Yes. Okay. Final I, let me, uh, let me explain the concept, then I'll give an illustration of it. Okay. And the concept of street smarts here is the third step of the game plan is using questions to make a point. And the point might be an attempt to parry a challenge, or maybe to respond to an alternate point of view, like atheism versus Christianity, okay? And um, and we're going to use questions to do that. Um, very important. But in order to do that, you have to know a couple of things. You have to know what's wrong the, with the other person's view, okay? Mm -hmm. So in Street Smarts, I have two chapters on atheism. I have a chapter on the problem of evil. I have a chapter on can we be good without God? I have a, two chapters on abortion. I have two chapters on problems with Jesus that people raise. Mm -hmm. I have two chapters on problems with the Bible uh, that people raise, Bible and science, uh, genocide, ra uh, um, not racism, but uh, uh, slavery in the Bible, etc. I have a chapter on gender, sex, and marriage. So the kinds of things people are going to run into uh, in their conversations with people in the culture right now. And what I'm doing is I'm giving the backstory. I'm helping you understand what's wrong. What are the flaws? Okay, once you get that, and in that way, it's like any other apologetics book. But once you get that, now you want to expose the flaws, but use questions. And this is the unique part of the Street Smarts book, because I give you the questions that pertain to the weakness of the other view. Okay. And in fact, I give you multiple questions built into many dialogues. And there's many dialogues with each chapter to see how this technique plays out on any issue. So I give you the springboard into your conversations. All right. And it's meant to put a stone in their shoe. It's not meant to get a decision. Mm -hmm. But there's something else that's unique about the way this works. So let me give you an illustration. Somebody says, well, there's an atheist says there's no evidence for God. Okay, common comment. And I say, do you mind if I ask you a few questions? And, I, and he said, no, okay. And I said, and I did this with a student once at University of Toronto on a Q&A. And I said, they're simple to begin with, but then I'll get to my main point. Do you think, first question, do you think that things exist? And he said, yeah, of course they exist. All right, good, I agree. Now, second question, all the <laughs> things that exist, have they 
always existed. In other words, was the universe eternal? Well, nobody thinks the universe was eternal. Uh, Christians believe the universe came into existence. So do all the non-Christians. We share this, you know, that's Big Bang cosmology, basically. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> People get hung up on the Big Bang thing. Don't worry about the terminology. The point here is that they believe the universe had a beginning. And so he says, yes. I said, uh, in other words, there was when there was no universe, then there was a universe. Yes, that's right. Okay, I agree with you there. Here's the third question. Uh, what caused the universe to come into existence? Now, that's the critical question. And by the way, I tell them, there's only two possibilities. Either something or nothing <laughs> caused yeah. the universe. That's it. Something or nothing. Yeah. Now, of course, the atheist doesn't want to say something because that's got to be something really powerful what's yeah, outside what of the something? universe it's got to be something really smart it's got to be a person to initiate the whole process he didn't want to go there but what is the only alternative that's left to him nothing caused the universe for no reason and with no purpose and that's what you're stuck with it's just in the beginning where the particles and particles crashing in the universe and that's it now look at that might be possible i don't think it is but i'm not tr trying to prove it's impossible i'm just trying to show it's dumb <laughs> to hold that view there is more to this episode over on our youtube channel if you want to hear the entire conversation check out episode 42 at youtube.com slash christianity still makes sense